And we had two years prior to that, 2016 and 2017, where we had near record low production um, from our summer brood survey. And so when I when I arrived here, there was definitely a lot of concern um, from information that they had learned during that recent study where they saw that some of our reproductive rates were a lot lower than they were several decades ago. You know, we had these near record low years of turkey production. Um, so really the concern was, okay, you know, production appears to be what's, what's driving what we're seeing as far as turkey abundance declines in Missouri. How do we figure out what's going on here and, and how do we... Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn to climb up. Hey, Redbone, did you hear about that new deer feed? What new deer feed? Hey, Buck Grits, boys, you ain't heard of that yet? Buck Grits? BuckGrits.com. Well, tell us about it. What makes it better than any other deer feed? Well, Buck Grits has got the protein a deer needs, it's got the fat a deer needs, it's got the amino acids, it's got the energy, it's got it all, brother. It's going to well, bring them back after the rut and it's going to put a rack on their head. And it's going to help the lactating doe, I assume, too, after they have the fawns. That's right. Keep the fawns going and get them for the next crop. Well, where can I get Buck Grits? BuckGrits.com. You can get a sample, you can order it directly from the website, and we're coming to a retailer near you. If you want to help a deer herd, use Buck Grits. I've been on a big board for a while. I can load him in the back of my truck. We can take it to a holler, take it to a field, across a creek, up a big old Wise-Eye, Eagle Seed, Amped Outdoors, Hornady, Buck Grits, Apex Ammunition, presents American Roots Outdoors. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm calling (laughs) via phone on the road, driving through Kansas on our way back from helping Lizzie Long finish her Grand Slam. Yay! How about that? It done. Yeah, how about that? That's pretty cool. Yes, and Lizzie is right over my shoulder in the back seat of her Toyota pickup, and see Daddy's here to the right. And you talk about a grueling hunt. We was walking three to five miles a day in Nebraska. All we was seeing was jakes. Yep. Jakes, jakes, jakes. We got over here in Kansas, basically the same thing, and the turkey was on the neighbor's properties. It's been a rough run, hasn't it, Lizzie? Yeah, it was pretty tough, we got done. Yeah, That's it fantastic. was really rough. We, I think we only seen three long bears the whole trip over in Nebraska hunting with Hidden Valley Outfitters over at Cord Peterson. And I think about the same here. That's all I seen was about three long bears the whole trip here in Kansas. Yeah, we had one come within about 90, 80, 90 yards in front of us, but he saw some hens and another gobbler coming after his hens. He turned around and beeline right back right that gobbler. And, uh, but other than that, we still got it done. Yep, we got her done. We got her bird yesterday evening. We went back into where we saw the super gates and went in there about 6.40 p.m. And I hit the ARO2 call, and they gobbled. Two different gobblers gobbled it about 600 yards away. And uh, we coached them in there. They come in quiet. Got in after the gobble come in, quiet, very quiet behind us, strutting. And one of them 
finally broke and come in clucking. And when he broke into the food plot over the Montana decoy, he went to strutting. And uh, Lizzie's going to tell you what she done after that. He came into strutting and uh, he, he kind of quieted down. And I was sitting at first and it was a bunch of brush. And I thought, man, if he's coming into my left, I ain't going to be able to see him. So I easily stood up as easily as yeah. And sure enough, 10 foot from Sea Daddy sitting on my left. Come the come the gobbler with a just soft pluck. He came in with a hen, and I had my gun standing straight up in front of me. And when he turned to look the other way, I'd lift my gun up a little bit, and he'd look back, and then he'd strut, and then I'd lift it up a little bit more. And finally, he turned to go down the edge of the field strutting, and I lifted that gun up, and he stopped and lifted his head up, and it was game over. <laughs> nice. And let me tell you, it wasn't nothing but a, uh, not to be gross, but just pure blood. It, <laughs> it was red blood, dripping blood. She literally pulverized him. Well, that's easy to do with those that apex ammunition. I mean, it's so concentrated, it'll it'll do a, a number on these birds, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, fantastic. So the, uh, the Grand Slam is complete then, right, Lizzie? Well, congr- so everybody congratulations. Knows, uh, <laughs> we are headed back home. I should get home around 7 o'clock p.m. this evening as we record Wednesday evening. As soon as Lizzie gets home, Lizzie, if you don't care, share with everybody what you got on your agenda and what you got to do. Well, when I get back home, I got to go back to the doctor and uh, get some more treatment done and then um, just get back on the road and singing and heading up to Pennsylvania and then to uh, West Virginia, Bluefield, West Virginia, Take care of there, and uh, it's just getting back to the grind. Yeah, I got to tell Lizzie, Alex, uh, real quick. I was at Silver Dollar City over the weekend uh, doing a live broadcast for K Country ninety five, and one of my guests for one of my segments was Rhonda Vincent, and I asked her about the baby incident, Lizzie. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, she wanted to know how in the world I knew about that, and number two. Uh, she said that there would be paybacks. <laughs> there would be what? There would be paybacks. No, that does not surprise me. <laughs> me and her friends, we have an ongoing uh, see who can pull the best prank, but I tell you the truth, it, I think right, she might be the queen of bluegrass, but I'm the queen of stunts. <laughs> She's a princess, a hunting princess of bluegrass. I nicknamed her that, the hunting princess. <laughs> But anyway, Lizzie, you want to share some thoughts before we wrap up this first segment? Uh, we got special guest MBC Turkey Biologist going to talk to us about her roots and talk to us about why we're having declining numbers and what we can do to help get our population back in southern Missouri. Do you want to close here the segment we're talking about? What do you want to say to all your followers and listeners that's followed you through American Roots? Well, like I always said, you've heard me say it time and time again. If you're going to go turkey hunting, take somebody that knows what they're doing so you don't spook the turkeys. We had a lot of educated birds where we were at. And they were very pressured. And uh, another thing is, I've seen more coons in Nebraska and Kansas. And, uh, you, you know, be sure to take care of your varmints. And then most of all, don't forget to pray every day and ask God for forgiveness and do what you got to do to get it done. Y'all stay straight. Love y'all. 
You're listening to American Roots Outdoors. We're going to go to a break. We come back. we got MDC biologists going to tell us about the southern Missouri turkey population. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. Wishing on some love. I've been on a big board for a while. Redbone, what would you say if I could tell you that you could kill a buck on a certain day? I would say you're crazy. There's no way to predict how the bucks are going to move. Well, you're wrong. There's a new camera out called Wise Eye Technologies. These guys can predict the actual deer movement exact time that a deer is going to come through. Really? Wise Eye Technology? This camera has five megapixel pictures, has a GPS system built inside, and it's an experience using this camera. It collects data and tells you the movement, wind direction, everything. On a camera? On a camera. WiseEyeTechnologies.com. And how do I find out more information about these guys? You go to WiseEyeSmartCam.com. I'm using them. You should, too. Make your hunt easier. Use WiseEye. Eagle Seed presents uh, American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Alex had to leave. Uh, he's driving back from Kansas. Uh, yep. We've got Mike in the studio here with me. This is Wayne Locke. And we have Rena Tile, who is the uh, MDC turkey biologist here in Missouri. Uh, Rena, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. What? All right, so, Rena, we want, we want to start with a little bit about your roots. I mean, we're American roots, and we like to kind of know about people that uh, uh, that we're talking to. So, uh, where where are you from? So, I'm originally from Michigan. Uh, I kind of claim Michigan and Ohio both because my dad's family is all from Michigan, and my mom's family is from Ohio. So, I went back and forth to those two states quite a bit growing up. All right, so were you a hunter growing up in Michigan and Ohio? I was not. My family doesn't really have a, a strong hunting and fishing background. I started to get more into fishing when I was in high school. I had friends that um, their families engaged in hunting and fishing more, and we would go up north to their um, hunting properties or, you know, lake cottages and things. And so they're the, really the ones that kind of showed me the ropes with that um, from a more sport fishing perspective. My grandfather, my grandparents had a farm, and they had a farm pond that they stocked with, you know, bass, bluegill, that traditional setting. Um, but that was just, as kids, you know, we'd go out to the pond and fish. So a little bit of experience that way, but not, you know, out in nature um, in more, you know, natural settings. But I do that till I was really in high school. You know, I was, uh, after just hearing what you said about where your parents are from, uh, fall time had to be a rough childhood for you. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know that, that that you know if once football season started, college football, that had to be a rough. You know, I'm from Ohio originally, so go Buckeyes. Okay. Um, you know, yep. I was I almost I almost hung up the phone on you here when you said you were from Michigan. I mean, that's natural for me to just go click. Uh, you know, right off the bat. <laughs> Luckily, you have a little well, bit of uh, you know uh, scarlet in your blood, so you know we're going to keep you on the line here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess good news for you um, is that I guess, well, my dad's family is pretty much all Spartans, Michigan State. My oh. mom's family are all Buckeyes, and um, 
my grandparents have been pretty much season ticket holders my whole life, so I grew up going to Ohio State football games. Um, they indoctrinated me from a young age, and that's the only place I ever wanted to go to school. So that is ultimately where I ended up going to do my undergraduate degree uh, was from the Ohio State University. Nice. Wow. All right, so uh, when, when you were in high school, and, and you said that's kind of when you kind of started doing a little fishing and things like that, well, what did you do in high school? Did you play, I mean, were you a basketball, softball, volleyball player, anything like that? Yeah, I grew up uh, playing basketball, um, didn't really start volleyball till middle school, and then come high school time, I pretty much fully committed myself to volleyball, um, enjoyed it more than playing basketball, and so um, that was definitely a big part of my life outside of school with volleyball in the fall and the springtime. Hmm. All right, so I got I to ask the question then, I mean, uh, Michigan, Ohio, how do you end up as a, a turkey biologist? in the Missouri Department of Conservation? That's a good question. So, um, you know, when I went to school, originally I kind of thought I might go into engineering, which is kind of funny to look back on now, but um, (laughs) ultimately I just didn't really have the the passion for what I was learning as much. Mm -hmm. So kind of did some soul searching my first year of college, figured out that, you know, I really enjoyed spending time in the outdoors and wanted to have kind of an outdoor-centric career. And that's when I really found the the major was called forestry, fisheries, and wildlife. And so um, started taking core classes in that and learning about, yeah, just, you know, wildlife management, forestry management, fisheries management, all of that, you know, wonderful stuff. And just through opportunities that came about from um, either course projects or internships, um, you know, I was able to land an internship with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources uh, when I was an undergrad and I worked as a as an intern at their research station where I worked with their game bird biologists um, and mostly their game bird biologists. So that's kind of what gave me the head start in that. I guess they're waterfowl biologists too. So we did a lot of, you know, duck banding and goose banding, um, bobwhite quail surveys, things along those lines. And I also had the opportunity just to help them with a turkey population demographic study that they were trying to get going mm-hmm. um, to look at some of the factors influencing turkey dynamics in Ohio. And so that's really what gave me my start in game bird related management. And, um, you know, I think it was that experience that kind of gave me the, the background to ultimately secure my, my master's position that I had, um, which concentrated on studying turkeys. And then that set me up pretty well to um, take over this job in Missouri after I finished graduate school. Wow. So how long have you have you been a turkey biologist with MDC? Um, let's see. Next month we'll be coming up on three years. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, and now that I, I was wondering why you went to Ohio State as opposed to like maybe Hawking, which is, you know, pretty big in the wildlife, uh, you know, gr- mm-hmm. graduate school and all that. But, you know, then you had said you started out in engineering and, of course, Hawking is not known for engineering <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, so that explained right, that. Right. And I, I like the transition. And I tell you, I'm glad that uh, you did make that switch because uh, you've been a big asset here in, in Missouri. And we're glad that uh, we got you down here. Well, thank you. So what is your, you know, you've been here since, you know, what year was that? What, what, let's go back a second. For uh, What year did you graduate year. college, if you don't mind me asking? So I graduated my with my undergraduate degree, my bachelor's degree in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up working for a year uh, after school in Columbus, um, working in a lab at Ohio State doing um, research on tree swallows, actually. So just other bird-related research. 
And during that project, I kind of, I realized that my heart really lied with game birds. And so I was looking for opportunities to continue in that path. So I ended up looking for additional job opportunities to kind of do. Um, and that is kind of how I ended up for a summer working up in North Dakota for Ducks Unlimited doing brood surveys for waterfowl. Um, and almost directly after, actually directly after finishing that project, I um, started my graduate schooling down at West Virginia University um, in the fall of 2016. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the path. I mean, people that, that work in wildlife often have to work little, you know, seasonal jobs and tech jobs that take us all over the place to do different projects. And so spend a little bit of time doing that before starting graduate school. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm looking at the map here in my head and me and Redbone are both our eyeballs are bouncing from what, you know, round in circles. And it's like, you did not have a straight path from Ohio state <laughs> down to Missouri here. <laughs> no, no. You took the long I way. Moved, uh, I think my record was moving states six times in a calendar year. Wow. So did, was your, was your, you didn't drive a car. You just drove a U-Haul all year long then, correct? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, basically you move around with what you can fit in your car. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. All right. We're about out of time here on, on this segment. And again, we're talking with uh, uh, Rena Tile, uh, turkey biologist with the Missouri Department of Conservation. And we're actually going to start getting into turkeys when we come back from this break. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends right after this. This is Brenda Valentine, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. How many of you are tired of your batteries running out of energy, out of power? Let me tell you about Amped Outdoors. I've changed using the batteries I have had in the past. Amped Outdoors, I have the new 80 amp, 24 volt, single battery, weighs 46 pounds. This thing has produced energy all day long. Tested for two days, total use 11 hours. Cannot tell the batteries have even lost any energy. Go to Amped Outdoors if you want to be successful and not run out of power. Amped Outdoors and Apex Ammunition presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Got Mike Crace in the studio. This is Wayne Locke and Rena Tile is still on the phone with us here uh, talking turkey now. So, uh, you know, Rena, one of the things I want to start out with, you know, here in Missouri, you know, when you made the move here, you said that was, you know, the around the upper uh, 2000s, like, what, 2018, yeah. roughly? 2019. 2019. Uh, started here. Mm-hmm. So you were just outside of the peak of what the turkey populations kind of were here in Missouri. So if you can, you know, tell our listeners, when you came into your position here, what was it like, you know, what programs were going on, and what did the population look like at that time? So when I started here in June of 2019, um, the previous turkey biologist had just finished up a pretty extensive uh, five-year study of turkeys up in northeast Missouri, looking at survival rates, harvest rates, reproductive rates, and all that. And also at that time, let's see, yeah, 2019 in June, so we would have just started that summer's brood survey. And we had two years prior to that, 2016 and 2017, where we had near record low production um, from our summer brood survey. And so when I when I arrived here, there was definitely a lot of concern 
um, from information that they had learned during that recent study where they saw that some of our reproductive rates were a lot lower than they were several decades ago. You know, we had these near record low years of turkey production. Um, so really the concern was, okay, you know, production appears to be what's, what's driving what we're seeing as far as turkey abundance declines in Missouri. Steps. How do we figure out what's going on here and, and how do we create a landscape that's more amenable to producing more turkeys? Now, wasn't that wasn't the decline though somewhat expected? I mean, I, I, we we had the repopulation, you know, the re re uh, location mm-hmm. of turkeys and that that was going on like in the oh would that be the upper nineties to early two thousands. So you know, it, it was expected to like really peak and then kind of come down a little bit. But what you're are you kind of saying that it came down more than expected, and that's where all of a sudden boom, a light went on and said, hey, we got we may have a problem going on. Yeah, I think a little bit of both. So. You're right. With with restored populations, you know, they for a period of time can almost reproduce or populations can grow almost exponentially. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time for the negative feedbacks to catch up with the population and drop that growth rate down so that the population, you know, kind of ends up overshooting maybe how mm-hmm. many individuals the landscape can realistically support. Mm-hmm. And then we see a decline and then we might see the population kind of oscillate between, you know, some years of good abundance, some years of poor abundance, trying to find that happy medium, you know, carrying capacity of, of what the landscape can support as far as turkey numbers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say it wasn't unexpected, the trends that we've been seeing. But at the same time, you know, you, I, I, I would think that when we were, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s reaching that peak, I mean, we didn't know how high that peak was going to go. So... Um, you don't know exactly when that might occur, but we definitely started seeing that happen in the mid to late 2000s, that initial decline in turkey harvest and some of our indices that made us think, okay, you know, numbers are kind of falling backwards now. Um, but I think the, the that project that was conducted was really an effort to figure out what our survival rates and our reproductive rates and our harvest rates were like in this post you know, peak turkey abundance time. So we had, it had been a while since we had had any efforts to quantify how many hens are surviving the year, how many gobblers are surviving the year. It had been a while since we'd quantified our reproductive rates. So what what's nesting success look like? What does poult survival look like? Um, and we could tell that times were different. I mean, we could see the trends in our turkey, you know, uh, production index. We could see the trends in some of our abundance indices. And so it just was, it was time to reevaluate what do our population dynamics look like? What's driving this, this equation? Um, uh-huh. Because at the time, there just was a lot of uncertainty about what the main factors. Yeah. And, and you know, Rena, and, and you know more than, than, than most, uh, with the turkey repopulation, and, and something that is still, when you look at the overall time frame, is still relatively new. So there was a lot that was not known, and, and you just kind of touched on that. Uh, have y'all determined yet what, or is there a number that, that you think the statewide turkey population should be and what is maintainable? That's Yeah, we, we don't really have an idea of that. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I'm hesitant to say that maybe we're reaching that now um, okay. because we have had relatively stable turkey harvests over the last five years. I mean, there's been some fluctuation, obviously the boom in 2020 and kind of falling back last year, but, but in general, we're, we're 
kind of evening out with harvest um, when you look at a longer term scale. Same thing with production, even though production obviously has been a lot poorer recently than we would like to see. Mm-hmm. It has been stable to increasing over the last six years. So it's hard to say, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's a lot easier to evaluate in hindsight when you can look back and say, oh, yeah, look at these years. That's that's when we really started to level out. But sure. unfortunately, you, you don't really know until you get more years of data and can kind of see what the trends do in the future. Yeah, and, and here, and I may be getting ahead of where you want to be here, Wayne, but I'm just going to ask this now. We've got about oh, two minutes here <laughs> left in this segment. But there seems to be, uh, looking at hunters and following social media and all the people that we uh, talk about American Roots, converse with, it seems to me there's a pretty large disparity between turkey population in northern Missouri and southern Missouri, and maybe more of a decline in the south than there has been in the north. Is, is that what y'all are seeing and, and hearing from the people you converse with? Yeah, so I, I do, yes, I, I, I do hear that a little bit. I think the what we see with our abundance trends is North Missouri really experienced a decline in their turkey abundance during that mid to late 2000s period. So they saw harvest declines of 50% or more in some of those counties and some of those regions. Whereas the southern part of the state maintained a little bit more stability during that time, did not see as big of a a decline in their numbers and and in their harvest. But recently, in the last five years or so, southern Missouri has seen a more pronounced um, you know, drop off and harvest and things like that. So I think it's not so much that they're getting it worse overall, but I think it's just that maybe it's happening there now in a way that it wasn't happening 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that probably is the case. So so kind of summing up everything we've talked about here in this segment, it's kind of uh, maybe a natural ebb and flow. I mean, would that be a good way to put it as far as population of turkeys in Missouri? Right. Yeah. We suspect that's what we'll see moving forward. So during the restoration period, we pretty much saw, you know, increases in numbers year after year. Now that we're in the post-restoration period where populations are more established and they're experiencing density dependent factors and all these lovely scientific things that we talk about, um, we can expect to probably see turkey number cycle. We don't know what that cycle will look like, if it'll be five years or 10 years or whatnot, but we can expect to see you know, years where we have low numbers, years where we have better numbers, a lot of it being based on what production looked like, you know, the year, a couple years prior to that. That's So right now, you know, like I said, we've we've been having a pull to hen ratio of about 1.0 or, or lower the last six consecutive years. Mm. And so that's definitely led to, you know, fewer turkey numbers right now, you know, the last couple of years than folks were used to seeing five years ago, 10 years ago. And so I think that's why a lot of folks have, you know, the alarm bells have kind of caught off for people and they're starting to really notice those, uh, you know, lower numbers in their areas that they frequent. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. And we'll continue talking about that. First, we need to take a break. Folks, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. We're talking turkey today with uh, Rena Tile, Missouri Department of Conservation Turkey Biologist. We'll be back right after this. Hey, y'all, it's Tyler Farr, and you're listening to my good buddy, Mr. Alex Rutledge, on American Roots Outdoors. Around your heart, so you never gotta worry what the wind might do, American Roots. Hey, turkey hunters, this is Alex Rutledge. Have you heard about Apex Ammunition? If you haven't, 
They are American-owned, American-made, made one at a time, hand-loaded. These turkey loads will give you the confidence that you need to close the deal on that old hook daddy long beard gobbler. For more information, go to www.apexammunition.com. Buck Grits and Nutriplot presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutland and friends. This is Wayne Locke. I'm Mike Crace in the studio with me, and uh, Rena Tile is on the phone, and we're going to continue talking uh, turkey. And when we left off, we were talking numbers, we were talking uh, declines, and one of the words that was brought up uh, that I want to kind of key in when we open the segment up is uh, social media. That was brought up in the end of the last segment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think social media, it, it's kind of been a plus and minus. And, and Rena, you can you know put your thoughts in on this too, but it seems like social media is allowed when social media kind of became started its rise, that was when the population was at its highest. So you got all these people that grew up in the prime time at the peak of the turkey population here in Missouri. And now that there's a decline, those same people that grew up with social media are now have become turkey biologists. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you read comment sections about, you know, everybody has their opinion as to why it's, you know, declined. And, you know, it seems like everybody's blaming either floods or predators. But it seems like social media has made everybody a turkey biologist. And, and obviously that's not the case. It's made them opinionated, you know, but definitely not turkey biologists. But, you know, going with what the number one and two uh, reasons that we are hearing, and that is um, weather and uh, reproduction, uh, repro- you know, weather causing reproduction problems. And then, of course, we have predator problems based on, you know, clear cutting, which is increases your predator population, which now decreases your turkey population. So, Rena, can you straighten all that out for everybody? In, yeah, in actually, one minute or less. Talk about, <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know about that. But um, I, I want to talk about that weather component because I was having this conversation with some friends this last weekend mm-hmm. uh, over some fishing. And, you know, people that, that like to hunt turkeys and they hear all the time that rain during the spring and, and weather can be detrimental. And I think people often assume that we're talking about, you know, nests getting lost because riparian areas are flooding and stuff. And that might happen a little bit, but really what drives what we're talking about when we say weather and we see more, say more rain is if you think about, you know, a wet dog and how stinky they are, turkey hens are the same way. So when they're wet, they smell a lot more than when they're dry. And so really when we say rain and, you know, frequent rain events, the more that hen is wet and sitting on the ground, the easier it's going to be for predators that use their noses to locate food to find that hen. So you know, rain is kind of coupled with predators where, yes, we might have more mammalian predators now, but also if those hens are wetter or are wet more frequently, then the odds of them being able to detect those nests and detect those ground roosting uh, broods and things, um, you know, it increases. So it actually, they might work together in a way that's detrimental to turkeys. So I just wanted to, I wanted to bring that up because I I found that um, not everybody really understands the what facilitates why wet springs are, are so can be so detrimental to see, nesting success or, or cold survival. See, when I heard people talking about uh, you know rain being detrimental to the turkeys, I thought it was because, and, and I heard this when I was when I was young, you know, forty years ago, 
Uh, <laughs> they, when it would rain hard, I think tur- I know where you're going yeah, with this. Turkeys would look up at the sky. They, they'd feel the rain hitting their head. They'd look up in the sky to see where it's coming from, and they would drown. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, someone called me the other day to ask me if that was true or not. And I do not think we have ev- any ed- evidence to suggest that that's a thing that regularly happens. <laughs> but, it, but it is something kind of interesting to think about. Now, now, yeah. Now, yeah. now Rena, you were talking about with the rain affecting the nesting uh, cycle and, you know, being found easier and stuff because of the way they smell. Now, what about rain mm-hmm. with uh, poults? I'm assuming it's got to be the same with, like, you know, baby chickens, that they don't have feathers yet, so the rain has got to uh, cause right. mortality effect on them, too, doesn't it? Right. So the rain can be almost twofold with poults, where it not only, you know, causes, it makes the hen stinky, it makes it easier for predators to find them if they're roosting at night on the ground, which they do until those poults are about two weeks old. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, those young chicks, those young poults, they only have these little downy feathers that aren't very good at, at wicking away moisture. And so um, if, if we get precipitation and then it's also it also gets cold at night, um, they can die of, of hypothermia just because they can't thermoregulate very well and they just get kind of like waterlogged, you know. So that is that is a factor. It can almost can almost be twofold with those poults, especially when they're when they're young and pro- they start getting better feathers. And probably just the uh, the swing the other way, like right now we're at 92 degrees. I imagine yeah. they can't regulate to cool off too, correct? Right, exactly. That's something that, especially down in the southeast United States, they look a lot at broodering habitat in relation to um, thermal refugia, like heat, getting out of the heat. Um, and definitely in, part, in parts of southern Missouri, um, that can be a factor as well. And yeah, right now it's been 90 degrees all week, which is a little bit unusual. So that can be a factor too, you know, good habitat will provide them with thermal cover, not for just the cold times, but the, the hot times too. Yeah, we got just a couple of minutes left here on the radio show. And, and you know, Rena, the uh, the turkey harvest number, uh, what, 36,252, 251, something like that. Uh, is MDC happy with that number? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's, it's hard to say. I wasn't really sure what to expect this year. You know, we mm-hmm. we could have ended up lower than we were last year. We could have, we could have ended up above where we were last year. There's there's not really anything um, in our brood survey data and our production data that would indicate. You know, we saw a boom in production, so now we can expect a corresponding a boom in harvest. You know, so right. we weren't really sure where it was going to go, but um, I do feel good about where it landed. I feel like again, you know, thirty six. Uh, 252 is what it's kind of showing right now. That can change a little bit based on, you know, some last sure. minute telechecks and, and things. But um, as far as you know, we're sitting kind of kind of on average where we've been for the last, you know, five years or so, slightly below average. But um, but yeah, I would say that it's it's not unexpected that we landed where we landed. <laughs> All right, now there are people out there, and again, we're about to run out of time. We may even want to do this in the bonus, and, and if you think it would be better to do on the bonus segments, let me know. But there are people that are thinking that MDC needs to make some changes, maybe shorten back to two weeks or uh, just one turkey uh, per hunter mm-hmm. and those kind of things. Is that anything that <laughs> – because my personal opinion is, and I talked to some people way back in the day when – you know, 60,000 was the number. And even in the 50,000s, the harvest numbers, they said, right. that's too many and we will never get there again. So, I mean, or I, I, I asked the other question because I think it ties right in with that. This is, 
kind of what I hear you saying is kind of where we expect the turkey harvest is going to be for the future. Unless we start producing more birds, I would say so. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if all of a sudden our harvest jumped up this year to over 40,000 birds again, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's nothing in, in our indices that indicate that that should happen. You know, you would expect harvest to kind of respond. Harvest generally is driven by two things, and that's turkey abundance and, you know, hunter participation, hunter effort, and also just permit sales and those sorts of things. Right. And so unless you see a big increase in one of those, you wouldn't expect harvest to correspondingly increase. Um, and so if we did see a big increase in harvest this year, I think I'd be kind of looking at the numbers going, that doesn't really make sense because we don't have any evidence that turkey abundance has increased in a way that harvest should be increasing that way. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Very interesting. When you leave, I mean, just real quick, anything else? No, I, I think when we come back and go to the bonus segment, you know, for those of listening to the radio show, just because the radio show ends doesn't mean that this conversation and this uh, knowledge that we're obtaining is going to be yeah. ending. Uh, you know, just tune into your uh, local or your local, your po- favorite podcast carrier. Uh, type in American Roots Outdoors. Click on this show. We're going to because we got and if you missed any of the radio show, of course, you're going to hear the whole radio show plus mm-hmm. this bonus segment. So make sure you just, you know, click like, follow us. Uh, you're going to hear more from Rena. And we're going to talk about, you know, more about the future of turkey hunting here in, in Missouri and uh, maybe some possible rule changes that she may think may be on the horizon or maybe not needed. And also we're going to talk about ways you can improve your habitat on your property to help these uh, the nesting population to get back where it needs to be. Uh, folks, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. And like we say here in American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady and Wise Eye presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. If you're listening to this, that means you are on the podcast, and we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Make sure you leave us a, a review and to be entered in some contest giveaways that we do every couple of weeks. Um, and we appreciate you listening. And we still have Rena Tile on the phone here with us. And uh, Rena, uh, let's kind of pick up where we left off. And we were talking about rule changes and, you know, is it needed? Is it not needed? The benefits of them. Now, being from Ohio, one of the things that uh, big rule changes that we had that made a tremendous difference in the area that I hunted, and that was in Northeast Ohio, was they changed the dates of the hunting season for, I think it was like four or five counties up in Northeast Ohio there. And uh, Trumbull counties where I, or excuse me, Ashtabula counties where I used to hunt. And that was like the number one county for taking birds. But then it started seeing a big decline. They couldn't figure out why, so they did a study. And in that study, what it revealed was because of the lake effect snow coming off of Lake Erie, that the birds there actually nested later than the birds in the rest of the state. So they actually changed the hunting season uh, two weeks later in that zone um, because of that study. And that was about the mid-2000s, I believe, that that was done. Uh, so is Missouri doing anything like a study that may say, hey, we may need to look at 
changing the harvest, you know, dates or maybe the shorten the season, like, you know, uh, Mike was saying at the end of the radio show there, do we need to shorten the season? Do we need to change it to maybe just one gobbler for a few years? Um, I don't think changing, you know, you hear the, like I said, everybody's a turkey biologist on the, on the internet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you hear all the argument all the time, oh, we should get rid of fall season because, you know, we're killing all the hens and that. But if you look at the numbers, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just going off my head here, it's got to be less than a couple percent of birds that are even harvested in the fall time. So I can't imagine that would actually make an effect, you know, for the the future. Right. So a lot of things to cover there. We'll start with the season timing issue. So right now, our spring season is time to begin after peak breeding based on reproductive data, data from the Ozarks region. So you know, Southern Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just when we set, you know, the timing <sighs> decades ago, that's, that's the data that we had. We do have some recent data from that study that was conducted up in Northeast Missouri um, from about 2013 to 2019 um, that indicates that we breeding up there might be about one week behind where it is down South. Mm-hmm. So we have talked about that, but of course that, that adds a level of complexity once you start, talking about breaking the state up into zones. Do you have to choose a zone? How do we enforce, you know, so there's a lot of issues around that. Um, And I think as we learn more about, you know, factors influencing reproduction, that's something that, that, you know, we can look into a little bit more and see if a change like that would be warranted. Um, As far as, you know, the harvest rates or, or other, you know, changes to regulations, like the lowering a bag limit in the spring, shortening the season in the spring, um, when we looked at our harvest rates, or I should say spring harvest really really affects the age structure and abundance of the male segment of the population because so few hens are harvested in the spring, right? Just a small portion mm-hmm. of, of the harvest is bearded hens. And so when we look at, you know, when we look at changes to spring regulations, we're really looking at, you know, are there enough uh, gobblers out there to provide good hunting quality um, and those sorts of regula- regulatory changes would, would influence that. And, and the data that we have right now suggests that, that making changes to those, those regulations wouldn't, um, they're not going to affect turkey abundance when we're talking about, you know, population growth, but they could affect gobbler abundance. Um, and so we, we don't really have, based on the information from the study where we looked at harvest rates and, and other things, it looks like those spring harvest rates are sustainable and that making a change to especially like lowering the bag limit really would not be very impactful and and probably wouldn't change much as far as, as far as gobbler abundance on the landscape. And then the fall season, which you mentioned, that's, that's another thing too, that, you know, that's really the first thing that we look at, um, you know, when we see population declines because the fall harvest rate, if it's too high, can have impacts to population growth. So Mm -hmm. it can affect the trajectory trajectory of the whole, you know, male, female, entire turkey population. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that recent study up in North Missouri looked at what our harvest rate in the fall was like, and it found it found that we're harvesting about 1% of our turkey population, 1% of males, 1% of females, um, each fall. And that it's so low that if we, we looked at, you know, looking at our survival and reproductive rates the way that they are, if we got rid of that 1% harvest, so closed that fall season, made that 1% harvest a 0% harvest, would we see turkey numbers suddenly re- rebound? And that's not what we saw. We actually saw the you know continued abundance declines, um, and it really wouldn't affect you know the difference in population numbers several years down the line very much either. So it's one of those things where it's 
it's, we're seeing, you know, fewer, fewer and fewer birds being harvested during our fall firearm season each year. And if that continues to trend that way, there's, there's not a risk that we're suddenly going to harvest way, you know, an unsustainable number of turkeys just because interest in that season is going down. Um, Interest in archery hunting is going up though. So that's something that we're keeping an eye on. But again, right now the the birds, the proportion of birds that are harvested or the the number of birds harvested during that archery season is still pretty, still quite low compared to what we we used to harvest Mm -hmm. during those fall seasons. Yeah. And, uh, and I can, I can tell you that in Arkansas, they did away with fall turkey hunt probably five, maybe six years ago. And it has had no impact whatsoever. And, yeah. and, 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 it, and that's exactly what you're to, saying. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. I, I, that, and that's what you're saying there, in, in essence, is uh, it really, at this point, doesn't look like it would have any impact one way or the other. Right. We'd be taking away opportunity from people without seeing that desired effect, which is increased, you know, increased turkey abundance. The thing that will lead to that increased turkey abundance is really going to be production improvements. Mm-hmm. And the way to get there is, is really through habitat management. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that, too. Yeah. So what can people do on their property that they either own or lease that can say, hey, I need to, to help get my turkey population back. What do I need to do on my property? Because I know from my property you know, alone here that I'm going to refer just to only me and I can include Alex because he lives right across the road from me. And our turkey population has just gone to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> you know, I've, got, I've got a whole bunch of wise-eye cameras on my property, so I get you know, updated pictures instantly when they're taken. I went from having a couple flocks uh, of decent size uh, four years ago to one flock to occasional turkeys walking through last year. And this year, I had zero turkeys on my property. Now, all around me, they are clear-cutting right now. So I'm assuming... And I, I hate to use the word the assume because we know what that means, but I'm assuming that the uh, the destruction of the property where they used to do the roosting in that has is probably what has caused my impact of not having any turkeys. But what can I do on my property and other people do on their property to say, let's bring nesting back to my property? What do I got to do? Yeah, so when we look at the reproductive parameters, so nesting success, cult survival, all that stuff and how they've changed – over the last several decades, what we've really seen is the biggest difference is in poult survival. Um, about half, well, poult survival, so that's the proportion of poults that survive their first four weeks after hatching, is about half of what it used to be during the 1980s when we conducted a similar study. Nesting success is also down a bit, but not as dramatically as poult survival. And what that really says to us is, Brooding habitat, places that hens can take their poults that provide them with good cover and good food resources, are probably the limiting factor on our landscape right now. Um, and so providing quality brooding habitat is going to be integral to improving turkey production. And what that looks like when we say brooding habitat, we're basically talking about early successional vegetation, you know, flowering plants, bunch grasses, things that, you know, have insects that live in them at the ground level that poults can access for a food source. Um, there might be trees scattered throughout that early successional vegetation to provide either roosting sites or just escape cover from predators. Um, and there's also going to be a lot of bare ground space in between those plants, so in between the, fr- the flowering plants and the bunch grasses so that poults can easily navigate through there. Um, big clumps of or big mat grasses like fescue that just all grow in 
you know, one continuous thing, that's so dense that those, those young pulps like really can't move through it very easily. So they end up expending a lot of energy and not, and don't get the food resources that they need to have like a, a positive impact on their growth. So a lot of times they'll hang out on the edges of those, or if they're mowed down or, or if they're, um, you know, grazed down, they can walk through it. But, but that dense stuff really doesn't provide them with, you know, the quality uh, cover and, and food resources that they need. So that's really what, what I think, or what most, what most people think is going to have the biggest impact to our turkey population is just providing better areas for those hens to take their pulse, um, to give them food and provide them shelter from bad weather and, and cover from predators. Now, I know the Missouri Department of Conservation, if somebody out there uh, wants to do something to better their habitat for their turkey, just like they do with deer and other wildlife, uh, there are resources available through MDC and, and, and brochures and, and written material and even people that will come out and take a look at your place and tell you what you need to do, correct? And I know we got to wrap this up pretty quick, but, uh, 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 Rena, that, I mean, that, that is a resource that is available from the Missouri Department of Conservation for hunters. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so folks, if, if they are interested about what they can do on their property specifically, you can go on our website um, to the contacts page and you can find your local contacts. We have private land conservationists assigned to every county um, and those folks are the ones that can come out and help you assess where you're at, where you want to go and, and help you develop a plan to get there. Potentially also identifying contractors to help you do the work um, and also cost share opportunities so you don't have to pay for all the work yourself. So definitely utilize those folks. They're a valuable resource. Um, very knowledgeable and if you're interested in helping turkeys there are people that are out there that will help you get there missouri department of conservation.mo.gov is where you'll find them folks and wayne uh, we have to wrap it up right here yeah and we're going to put that link on the uh the podcast here i uh, just scroll down the uh, podcast description you'll see the link there to that and we'll also link in uh information to uh for rena and you can also then contact your local wildlife officer i know i'm using the uh, program right now uh the uh, i'm on a burn schedule i got the forest openings going to the water holes uh, to help my deer and turkey population hopefully rebound from what is going on. But, uh, Rena, again, thank you very much. I know we could probably talk another hour here with no problem could, yeah. and still not cover half of what needs to be covered. And I'm, we're going to look at getting you back on again here in a few weeks to, to cover some more. And let's talk some more about the, uh, upcoming programs and that that you got going on and maybe uh organizations that you're working with but uh, we'll get back with you on that everybody you've been listening to uh rena tile with the missouri department of conservation turkey biologists and mike crace wayne lock we say thank you very much and like we say here at american roots outdoors when your roots run deep and strong you have no reason to fear the wind <laughs> <laughs>